Thank God. It was good. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for you are the God that we ever needed, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your kindness and goodness that we can even sing about because we have experienced it. We have experienced your goodness. We have experienced your kindness. So we honor you, Lord, and we love you. May you be honored this morning. I pray as we dive into the scriptures today, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. That, Lord, we could hear your voice this morning. We honor you, Father, and we love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. While you're still standing, uh, I want us to turn our eyes to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 to 8. 2 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 to 8. This is the word of the Lord. Job was, was told, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning. Because on that day, the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men still in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, Oh, my son, Abyssalom, oh, Abyssalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went to the house of the king and said, Today you have humiliated all men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their, ma- their men mean nothing to you. I see that, you, that you've been ple- you would have been pleased if Abyssalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord, if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come on you from your youth until now. So the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, When we fall in love, we are actually telling someone, I am opening up myself to you and I'm going to tell you something about me that probably nobody else knows. I'll be vulnerable with you. But I hope that you're not going to use my vulnerability against me. That's what we do. You know, whenever you find yourself in a relationship where you can say, they know me, I know them, you know, we love each other. What you're saying essentially is uh, saying that I love you or, 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 or you, you are loved uh, by them. Uh, what you're saying is that that love, uh, you know, is, is, is a weapon they can use against if they want to. But you trust that they will not because they love you. And, and this is why betrayal sucks. You know, because betrayal sucks because, you know, you entrusted someone else, you know, with your very life. You wanted to get known by someone else. And you feel like, hey, they know me now. They love me. They are for me. But then, boom, they turn and they betray you. You know your, your greatest fear or our greatest fear as human beings? Our greatest fear is actually to be known, to be known. You know, because sometimes we wonder, like, if they were to know me, would they still love me? If they were to know me fully for who I really am, would they still be for me? And often we edit our stories. You know, we edit parts of us 
We only show best parts of us because we are afraid. Like if they were to know me fully, maybe they might take advantage of my shortfalls. And it's possible that you could be sitting here and you're carrying a wound, a wound of betrayal. Maybe your business partner betrayed you when you needed them. Maybe you recently discovered that your partner has been unfaithful and your world is now turned upside down. A friend you trusted has said stuff that you didn't think they would say about you. You know, you thought you belonged to this family and you find acceptance and love in this, in this household, but actually your very family members have turned against you. And all of these things are painful situations, painful scenarios. Betrayal is painful. And this is why it is very, very important that whenever we have experienced betrayal, that we need to grieve the pain that we experience through betrayal. Because as far as betrayal is concerned, what grieves you is also what grieves God's heart. As far as betrayal is concerned, because God is against it, and what grieves you will grieve God's heart. And one thing that we know is that when, when we grieve, that God is always in our grief, that God comes in our grief. Now, he might not stop the suffering that's causing the grief. But one thing we know about God is that he's not going to shine away. He's not going to shy away from your grief. He will stick around. He will be with you. So if you don't hear anything today, I want to just encourage you by that. The God might not have stopped the pain. The God might not have stopped the suffering. But he's not going to shine away from your grief. He's not going to move away. He's not going to leave you by yourself, even in, in your grief. In the passage that we have read, this is actually the end of the story, a tragic story that has been happening for the you know, three or four chapters uh, before this chapter. This is the story of Abyssalom. We know one thing, or maybe two things that we know a bit about Abyssalom, uh, is that Abyssalom was David's son, and the scriptures say that he was the most, hand, he was the most handsome man in all of Israel. Like there was no any other man who was good looking like this guy. You know, he had long hair, longer than mine. You know, tall guy. Like you would notice that there comes Abyssalom, and he was a beautiful man. And the thing that we know about Abyssalom is that he betrayed his dad, David. Now, you know, we are towards the end of this story where we're seeing David in tears and he's mourning the death of his son, Abyssalom. Because Abyssalom, you see, uh, was that he was a wounded guy. And I think last week I spoke about how the people that betray other people, often they're carrying a wound. You know, they're, that they're yet to address. They're carrying some hurts that they're yet to address. And Abyssalom was carrying a hurt for a long time. Because the story of Abyssalom is that Abyssalom had a sister called Tamar. And Abyssalom had a half-brother called Amnon. And Amnon liked Tamar, his own half-sister. And then eventually, uh, you know, uh, ends up uh, tricking Tamar and rapes her. And Abyssalom sees this injustice and he sees this uh, and he was infuriated just like everybody else should with that scenario. And he felt like his dad, David, who is the dad to all three children, uh, felt like he never really acted, uh, you know, 
uh, in the right way to address this issue, and that was a wound with Abyssalom. So Abyssalom uh, eventually makes a plan that after two years this incident happened, kills Aminon. And, uh, you know, David mourns for Aminon, his son, uh, and then which results for Abyssalom to run away from Jerusalem, and he's out there for four years, then after four years he comes back into Jerusalem, he's welcomed back. And when he came back, he started making a plan and wanting to, uh, you know, bring up an army that wanted to overthrow uh, the kingship of David. And one thing that Abyssalom would do, it was a very clever plan, what he would do is he would sit in front of the palace. And when people would come to see David and uh, to tell David about their problems, uh, you know, to seek counsel and all, he would sit in the front and he would meet the person. And he would come to the person. Now, because he's the king's son, people would bow to him and would say, no, 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 don't bow. Just stand. Come on. And he would kiss them. This beautiful man kissing people, hugging them, you know. And people are just like, oh, he's such a good man. You know, and he would tell them, if there was a king who was ready to listen to you, I wish it was so. But unfortunately, the king isn't ready to listen to you. But if I was the king, I would be listening to you all the time. And he would sit with people. And people would fall in love with him. So he did this for over four years, every single day, doing this. And you can imagine the stories that people are telling. So Abyssalom is now loved. And then he came up with another plan, which was, I'm going to go to a place called Hebron. When I get there, uh, you know, I will, I will give you a sign. And when you hear the sound of a trumpet, you know that Abyssalom is now king. And he did that. And people started declaring him king. And because he was loved by many, everybody heard about it. And David hears about uh, this. And David now starts to run away. So he runs Abyssalom comes, kind of like sits in the palace for a while, you know, and then war breaks in, and um, David's men starts fighting Abyssalom's men, and in one day, about 20,000 people died. Tragic, 20,000 people died. And the war stopped because Abyssalom himself was killed. And the way Abyssalom died, first of all, before the war started, David said to his men, uh, and one of the men is a, was a commander by the name of Joab, said to Joab, hey, be careful with the young man Abyssalom. In other words, don't hurt him. You know, I know like you experience, do not hurt him. You could do other things, but don't hurt Abyssalom. But the story is told that Abyssalom was on his mule and he's moving, uh, running. And as he's running, he gets caught you know, in the branches of this oak tree. Um, and because he had a man, he so it was actually his hair caught in the branches of this tree. So he's just dangling in midair. And one guy sees him and reports to Job and says, hey, I've just seen Abyssalom. He's caught in the middle of the trees. And this guy says, and Job says to this guy, so why, why you didn't kill him? And said, no, remember the king said uh, we shouldn't touch his son. So I'm not going to bring myself to kill the king's son. And uh, Job just pushes him by the side and goes and pierces him three times on the chest kills him, and then he's put into a pit and with so many bricks around him. The king hears about this story of his son is dead. Now David begins to cry. Now you can imagine that this presents a conundrum. You know, uh, David is at a crossroads. Like, there's this Abyssalom the rebel, but also Abyssalom the son to David. You know, everybody else thinks 
It's just Abyssalom, the rebel. And this is why it makes grief. Grief is hard. Grief is very, very hard because grief is compounded. It is compounded uh, because when you lose someone that you love, when you lose something that you love, you don't just lose that one thing. You don't just lose that one person. There are the losses that surround the loss you've just experienced. So you didn't just lose your dad, but you lost a mentor, you lost a friend, you lost a grandfather to your children. You didn't just lose your spouse, you lost a parent to your children, you lost a friend, a dream partner. You didn't just lose a son, you lost somebody. And it's hard. Grief is compounded, and David is struggling with this, but also grief is complicated. I want to just read you verse 5 and 6. Then Joab went on to the house of the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that, that you would be pleased if Abyssalom were alive today and all of us were dead. You know what Abyssalom is asking of David? He's saying to David, hey, I want you to postpone your grief right now because your grief is sending the wrong message. Now, once again, he is talking to a father. Abyssalom was David's son. It was David's son. And you know, uh, sometimes maybe some of you have experienced this where you meet what probably I'll call the, the grief police gang, you know? GPG, the grief police gang, they, they come to you and they want to tell you the right way to grieve. You know, I've had friends who would maybe post about um, the loss of someone they love, maybe post it on Facebook, and then the grief, you know, police gang comes and be like, no, you shouldn't be doing this. I think you should, you should be doing this in private, not in public, like the way you're doing. In fact, by the way, your dad passed 20 years ago. Why even, like, grieved about this? You should, be, you should have moved on by this. And this is what Job is doing. You know, the Jobs are there. You know, and these people are more concerned about you grieving the right way, but ignoring the pain that the person is going through. Ignoring the pain that the person is going through. And we need to be careful. And this happens with us sometimes, that we want to fix things, most especially when people are grieving. And we say stuff that actually ignores their pain. And the better way is just to sit in it. But grief is complicated, you know. Um, that's why we need to be very gracious with people that are grieving because there might be time that you're happy and then the next minute you're sad because grief is actually complicated. Um, and, you know, with this we see the tension here of for David mourning the son, uh, his son, his own son. He's mourning the death of his son. And he sits in this tension of um, the very person who hurt me but also because they belong to me, then I've lost them as well. And I have to mourn that. And no, this, is, this becomes hard for a person who has been betrayed. A person who has been betrayed, you know, they have to sit in that tension of, of mourning someone that hurt them. But the reality is that whatever they experienced was actually a real relationship. It was not a fake one. It was real. And this is why it is important that we have to grieve. Because you cannot go around grief, you have to go through it. You cannot just dismiss it, you have to go through it. And when you, whenever you dismiss, 
you know, you will still react to it, but what's going to happen is that you're going to go to the wrong things. And this is why it is important for us to grieve. So I want to just kind of like highlight why it is important for us to grieve. What is it that we are grieving? Number one, we grieve the hurt we feel. We grieve the hurt we feel. The king covered his face and cried out, Oh, my son, Abyssalom. Oh, Abyssalom, my son, my son. You know, David grieves his son. And we can only just imagine what is going on in his head. We can only imagine what's going on in his head because there's no single parent that would tell you that they would like their son to go first or their daughter to go first before them. So you can imagine the pain that he is going through. And we know what that tells me. It tells me that this grief is so painful because it's unexpected. Since you do not expect it, that it's going to be this way. It is. It is painful. And that happens in betrayal. When we've been betrayed, going through the grief of betrayal, when we are hurt with betrayal because we trusted this person and they violated our trust. You went into this marriage and you never expected. Nobody goes into a marriage thinking that they will be betrayed. No. Nobody goes in a relationship thinking that they will be betrayed. Not at all. Then it happens. And when you're in there, you need to grieve your loss. Grieve the hurt that you feel. Number two, we grieve the loss of a hope of a hope of a better relationship journey. We grieve the loss of a hope of a better relationship journey. You know, just going back again to, you know, a job after he kind of like scorns David really about his grief, that he shouldn't be grieving this way. And you know, um, after this, even though abyss, the Abyssalom issue was sorted, but after this, it brought a lot of hurt to David that his ride wasn't as smooth as you think it would be now that this is done. You know, after this, there's like, you know, the next chapters just talking about other people trying to betray or other people breaking away from David, other people dismissing his authority. It does not look good. And that's what's going to happen. Whenever you experience betrayal, you're going to experience chaos. That actually the hope that you had of, of a better relationship journey that I think, yeah, we're going to encounter some hard things in life. Of course we will. But I didn't expect that I'm going to go through this chaos. But we've been wondering, beginning to wonder, should I actually be in this? How will my life look like? You didn't think this was going to happen. But the hope that you had is actually shattered. It's actually shattered. And you're going to suffer so many bad thoughts. This is why I'm going to say it's very, very important that if you've been unfaithful in a relationship, you need to be very, very gracious with the betrayed partner. Very, very gracious with the betrayed partner. That means, you know, you need to watch out and you need to partner with them on their journey of healing. And you can only do that through the eyes of grace. Because your partner can be triggered by anything. Now, maybe the day that you reviewed about this or they found out you were wearing glasses. And every time maybe you wear glasses, maybe they get triggered by that. You know? And don't come and be like, oh, I, sp- I thought we spoke about this. Why are you still acting this way? No, 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 no. Do not do that. Be gracious. Be gracious. Because we cannot ignore grief. We need to go through it. Number three, we grieve the broken promises. We grieve the broken promises. And the king, verse four, the king covered his face and cried out, oh, my son, Abyssalom, oh, Abyssalom, my son. The reality is that betrayal actually you know, grieves us because 
promises were broken. And that you promise that you're going to be with me, that you're going to stick by my side, but now you've betrayed me. You promise that you're not going to love anybody else the way you love me, but you have. You have betrayed me. You've betrayed me. So we know that promises that they said have been broken. But you know another thing that's, that breaks us the most are, are, are the promises we expected. In other words, in this story, you don't hear Bissell making any promises to David. But you can imagine as a parent, every single parent will tell you they imagine how their child will, will look like or they will be in school. How their child will be in secondary school. What about when they go to college? How will their life look like? What about when they finish college and now they have a family if God, if God allows it? Or maybe they are working now. Or they're, in, they're you know, uh, the responsible citizen you know, of their community. How will their life look like? You imagine that. You know what those are? Those are promises. Those are hopes that you've been building. And when that life is lost, all of those are gone. All of those are gone. So the broken promises. Promises you anticipated, promises you expected that will be carried out, you're never going to see them again. You're never going to see them again. You were partnered with this person in this business, and you, know, you begin to imagine, begin to build these hopes and promises of like, you know, I cannot wait to see it grow. And then you get betrayed and the thing is gone. Those promises are broken. You know, oh, I cannot wait to see how I'm going to experience this marriage life. You know, we're going to be together and we're going to have kids together and we're going to move to this place and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I cannot wait to see how our life will look like. But then betrayal happens and all those dreams begin to fade and fade and fade. And we grieve that. And finally, we grieve the brokenness we see. We grieve the brokenness that we see. You know, the reality is that you've been badly hurt by the betrayal that you have experienced. But the thing is, you are not just the hurt person in this. You're also the person who's been sinned against. You're also the person who's been sinned against. And I think it's not just enough for us to just grieve the hurt. We also need to grieve the brokenness that we see in this reality. That the person I trusted is so broken. They're so wretched. They're so sinful to the point that they can betray somebody they claim they love. To the point that they can show a lack of empathy, a lack of sympathy. They are so broken. And whenever you see sin, you know, the best way to respond is not to judge, but actually to mourn it. To mourn it. To mourn the sin. To mourn the brokenness that you see. And if you have betrayed somebody, your response is the same. For you to look inwardly and see that you've been a kind of person who's been unkind. A kind of person who can make a promise and go back on your promises. So therefore that should mourn you. That should mourn you. And before I continue, I want to just maybe give a warning to somebody here. Maybe you're having trouble in your marriage or relationship. And you just started texting another person recently. You know, maybe somebody that, a work colleague, or somebody you've met in a restaurant or somewhere else. And they've started texting her, it feels good for you. And you feel like, you know, for the first time somebody is seeing you. For the first time somebody is listening to you. For the first time somebody actually sees you the way you are. 
You know, she tells you the right things. He tells you the things that you want to hear, that your husband doesn't tell you, that your wife doesn't tell you, that your partner doesn't tell you. And you feel like, wow, I don't think I could ever experience this love. And maybe you've been finding yourself being more romantic in ways that you never thought you could be. But I want to tell you, at the end of that, there's only regret. At the end of that, there's only sorrow. At the end of that, there's no happiness. There's no happiness. Because as we said, you know, um, unfaithfulness is misdirected affection. Misdirected affection. That you're putting in other ways, um, loving other people the way you should only love the person you promised you will love. So we grieve. So what's our call? The way we grieve, what's our call for us as believers? Our call is to, to grieve with and through hope. To grieve with and through hope. Whenever the subject of grieving, grieving comes up in, in, in Scripture, it's going to be coupled with hope. First uh, Thessalonians you know, 4, uh, verse 13, actually Paul talks about that. that hey, we want to tell you this. We don't want you to be ignorant about this because we don't want you to mourn as though you're a people that have no hope. In other words, that tells us that as believers, we're going to face hard things and we need to mourn those hard things. And we mourn, not because we don't have hope, but actually in the face of hope. And for us, we have hope. I define hope as living in, an, in anticipation to experience God's goodness. Living in anticipation to experience God's goodness. Knowing that you're going to experience a good God today, you're going to experience a good God tomorrow, you're going to experience a good God even next year. So you live in anticipation to experience God's goodness. Why? Number one, we grieve with hope because God makes things beautiful in the end. In the end, God makes things beautiful. Yes, what you're going through is hard. Yes, that betrayal is rough, and I cannot even begin to imagine what that feels like for you. But one thing that we know about God is that God will take the most horrible of situations and wake out good out of that. One thing that we know about God, that he can take even the deepest betrayal, something that was meant to destroy you, and God shows up and shows his goodness even in that. Now, I don't mean that God causes the evil, but I mean that God can work through it, even when it happens to you, that he can come and show up and bring about good. And secondly, we grieve with hope because God is better at fixing what's broken. God is better at fixing what's broken. When you see someone else who's betrayed you, you see the sin that's in them and you're broken by it. But you know also at the same time that you are, you are unable to fix their sin. So therefore you look to Jesus. Because you know that in Jesus, Jesus is better at fixing people's sin than you can. So you entrust them to God. You say, hey, I entrust you to God. Because God is better at fixing what's broken. But not only will God fix the broken people, but we know that ultimately God will fix our broken world. God will fix our broken world. And, you know, we know this in the book of Revelation, that God is creating a world, a world where there's no more sin, a world where there's no more tears, a world where there's no more suffering. And we look forward to that world. Every single time you shed a tear, every single time you grieve a loss in your life, you're actually praying a prayer. Your prayer is saying, I wish for a world that I didn't have to experience this. I wish for a world where I'm not going to go and mourn these losses. 
And the beauty is that in the end, God is going to fix what's broken. Because in the end, God gives us that world. And we know that unlike David, Jesus is better at fixing what's broken. He does not just sit in hopelessness. Jesus lays down his life to fix what's broken. And like David, Jesus gives, on his own life. He gives up his own life so that we can find hope in him. So then what we do is we go to God. We go to God. With our grief, we go to God. Go to God. Because we remember that God might not have stopped your suffering, but he won't shine away. He never shies away from your grief. He will sit with you in there. So go to God. But also, go to community. You know, go to community. There are people that love you, that want to be with you. Go to community and be with people that love you and will stand by your side. Just close our eyes for a moment. You might be here. Maybe you have experienced a betrayal or some loss in your life. I want you to just come to God the way you are and just say, God, I come to you. Because it is in the coming that you remember that God's comfort is present with you. And maybe you cannot relate in that way, but know there are people that are broken by betrayal, people that are broken by losses that they've experienced. Maybe just take a moment to just pray for someone. Just lift them up in prayer. Just lift them up to God. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. God, you know the people that are here. You know the losses they've experienced. Some have even experienced betrayal in their lives. God, I thank you for you never leave us alone in our pain. You do stick closer to us. So God, I pray that may you show your mercy and compassion towards them. I also pray, God, for anybody else that feels like, hey, I've been carrying this shame that I've betrayed someone I love. I pray, Father, that they will receive God's help, that they will experience God's kindness towards them, God's grace for them. So may you show up, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray.